Boat Trader is America's largest boating marketplace with over 100,000 boats to choose from. We offer simple, comprehensive solutions for those looking to sell, find, and finance new or used boats. Visit BoatTrader.com to get started. Fishing like a local isn't just about catching fish. It's about connecting with the environment and the people who call it home. It's about hearing the stories and traditions that have been passed down for generations and sharing unforgettable moments with the people you meet along the way. Fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever. And with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no matter where you are. Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker. Whether you're just looking to stay warm during a hunt or need maximum concealment, the clothing you wear can make or break a hunt. At MidwayUSA.com, we understand hunting clothing has come a long way with more meticulously crafted camo patterns, advanced scent control technologies, and weatherproof options to withstand the elements. Hunters have to wait until their favorite season, but shouldn't wait on gear, which is why Midway USA offers super-fast shipping. When you're ready for your next system, log on to MidwayUSA.com. From the nation's capital... This is the Fly Fishing Consultant Podcast with your host, Rob Snowett. Take a dose of every day. How am I supposed to stay in a world built on empty ways and the lessons of all the Thanks for downloading the Fly Fishing Consultant Podcast. We are up to Series 1, Episode 75. And before I start the podcast on my favorite flies for trout, we're going to go over an email from Chris. Chris sent me this email a while back. Figured I'd read it all to y'all. I believe Chris is in Texas. Let's double check. Uh, A list of species he has caught with the Snow White Damsel. We have uh, Guadalupe Bass, Rio Grande Cichlids, Red Horse Suckers, and we have uh, these fish in Montana, Texas. He has caught altogether Brook Trout, Northern Pike, Largemouth Bass, Bluegill, Yellow Perch, Green Sunfish, Red-Eared Sunfish, Long-Eared Sunfish, Red-Breast Sunfish, Rios, Smallmouth Bass, Spotted and Guadalupe Bass, White Bass, Golden Eye, Golden Eye, Saugers, Tiger, Tiger Muskies, and Mexican Tetras, all in this pattern. So I read this email a couple weeks ago, and... Uh, Figure I would share it all with you. And these pictures of these cichlids are just bizarre. Um, yeah, and definitely like this bass has a golden eye. I'm guessing that's the golden eye. As uh, I did not take a biology class in Texas, I did not know some of these fish even existed. So let's go through my favorite trout flies for bass. I am going to read them off. We're going to break these down into categories. We have dry flies and wet flies. Now, dry flies will break down into organisms that live their entire life on land. We'll call those terrestrials. And then organisms that live in the water and then make their way to land and then most likely back to water. Those are just going to be your regular dry flies. 
Then our wet flies will break that down into what some call junk flies, streamers, and nymphs. All organisms that live below the water system surface. If you even call some of these flies organisms. So I'm recording on the DAT, the digital audio tape. So you're going to hear the voice come in and out. I'm going to put this down so I can examine these flies, have them in my hand. I've got my sparkling Deer Park Mandarin Orange, bubbly water from Costco, and we will go through these flies. I think this podcast would have been pertinent, more important, um, 15 years ago. Because um, once I met my now wife, I stopped really driving out to the mountains and trout fishing. Some of you who I speak with on a regular basis will know that I have not caught a brook trout in 10 years. I haven't caught a brown trout in two, and it's been about a year and a half since I caught a rainbow trout. Once we moved from the suburbs in Reston, where it was just easier for me to get north and west of town... I went towards the city, and that's when I started fishing the Tidal Basin and regularly at Chain Bridge, and then um, moved southern in the suburbs to Annandale, Koreatown, and still was just closer to the tidal part of the Potomac. So I've spent the better half of the last 13 years fishing tidal waters. Just got off the Tidal Basin this morning, just got back from Gravelly Point. And I'm getting ready for Steelhead. So y'all will hear the debauchery of the Steelhead cast next week. But in the meantime, we are going to sit down and listen to these flies. Some of these are well-known flies. Some of them are other people's, which I've tweaked. Some of them are my own patterns. Back in the single days, I would go and fish Mossy Creek, Virginia regularly. I would fish Big Hunting Creek in Maryland on a weekly basis. Every couple of weeks, I would go up and fish South Central Pennsylvania, the Yellow Breaches, Big Spring, Falling Spring, the Latort. And I would hop around those areas and I got fairly good at catching trout. If you're out there three to four days a week and you work in a fly shop and you have access to all sorts of gear and time material, you get to fine-tune your trout fishing skills. And before I worked at Orvis, I think the only trout I'd ever caught other than brook trout was a rainbow at a farm pond down the street from what is now the Rose River Farm. It was a hook and cook, and I just stopped in at the same time as another car, and I had my fishing gear. And this guy said, uh, he's like, hey, I'd love to have some trout for dinner, but I don't have any gear. And I said, I would love to catch a trout for you. So you can, I'll dig out that picture eventually. I've got my my 90210 long hair and sideburns rocking and uh, a brown shirt and like brown pants. My clothes in the 90s were a bit odd. I think because I only shopped at like REI at the time. Um, but I digress. So we're going to go over these. These are mostly, um, you know, I used to fish mostly a nine foot Orvis six weight saltwater. It was my favorite trout rod. If I wasn't fishing that, it would be the Henry's Fork, the nine, no, it's an eight foot four inch, I believe, five weight rod. It's my all time favorite rod for trout. And then sometimes I'd go out with my three weight superfine, also known as the tippet. But if I'm throwing streamers, it's going to be 
you know, a bigger rod. If it's the five weight, it's going to be dry flies. And you also may remember that I spent a summer out at Breckenridge Outfitters in Colorado. So I got very well versed in Western tailwaters and some of the Freestone Mountain streams. So these are a combination of flies from northern central Colorado and the mid-Atlantic, we could say. So without further ado, we're going to start off with Major Cricket. There's no way I'm going to sit down and tie a deer hair cricket because I just I don't deal with deer hair. So this fly is um, made of Rainey's float foam. It's about an inch long, and it was like a Chernobyl ant. But then I started to knot the rubber legs. And since you can't look at these right now if you're driving, I'll take pictures and upload all of these to the blog. And then I will have pictures for everybody to see. It's just a black cricket. It's got a tapered butt. And it kind of looks like the old Pearl Jam Kid logo. It's got, like, the arms sticking out. Slight, uh, you know, knots in the legs. And then it's got a rounded head, and some of them I glued on a piece of two millimeter yellow foam. And this would be like the go to trout fly for me up on the Yampa River where our friends have a ranch outside Steamboat. I can remember a day, and I'll be telling stories about these flies that we were out at the ranch, and they went into town, and my wife was hanging out, and I was like, I'm just going to go fish this private water. There's only one other guy that fishes it besides me, and it probably hasn't been fished in 10 years. And there's this nice little riffle. I got a 3X leader on. And I cast. And kaploosh. Big, big splash of water. Fish is on. Before I know it, it snaps my brand new 3X leader in half. Like, at half. Like, halfway up the leader where it's not 3X anymore. And I never saw the fish. I don't know what it was. It almost pulled the rod out of my arm. So I go down about another 30 yards, and there's a house being built on the river, and there's cliffs across from it on the other side of the stream, and I'm wearing chest waders. It's like 95 degrees, and it's I twisted my knee the year before pretty bad, so I'm like slipping on rocks. This is before. We all had like studded boots, and it's taking me a long time to fish. I'm, I'm pretty thirsty, and this house is under construction, and I noticed that there's an igloo cooler, like those yellow ones with the red top. From like your kids' soccer games. So I went up and drank like a gallon of that. Otherwise, I think I would have died from dehydration. Go back to the stream. And there's a dog leg in the river. Riffle at the head. And then there's just deep glide and plunge pool. I throw the cricket down. It has a nice splat. Call it the splat factor when I have these foam bugs. The fly splats on the water. And shooting up from the bottom is like a 16-inch cut bow. I think it's probably never seen a person. It's probably never seen a fly. And I catch one and I wrestle it to shore with my six weight and I take pictures of it. And I get three more out of that hole. And I move downstream after fishing that hole for a good couple of minutes. And I find out the stream's kind of ending. I can't really walk with my knee. Pretty dehydrated. This is before like cell phones had long distance. You had to wait till Fridays at nine o'clock to call. Couldn't call the wife. She thought I'd been eaten by a mountain lion. So I eventually hobble back. And there's another just shallow riffle under a tree. Big overhanging shade tree. And I'm like, all right. You throw one in front of the tree, in front of the shade, and let it kind of swing and drift underneath. And sure enough, 
boom, there was like another 15 inch, just massively proportioned cut bow. And it, it scarfs down the fly. I set the hook, land it, take a picture, set it off. And this is a film camera back then. So I had to, you know, scan it to get it onto my, my early forms of my website. So that's major cricket. It's basically just a black kind of Chernobyl ant with longer legs and uh, little legs sticking out in the front. Super simple to tie. I should probably start tying them because when I tie the gutless frogs, got a lot of leftover material. So I haven't really tied the major cricket in a while. Don't ask me why it's called major cricket. I don't know. So next up are my version of Chernobyl ants. Small, medium. We have large. I'll tie them in a variety of colors. The large ones are usually, there's three layers of two millimeter foam. So six, six millimeters total. And that has the buoyancy to allow you to throw a heavy nymph or a, a small streamer or a junk fly behind it. It's very buoyant. The legs give it a larger than normal surface area for the fish to see. And you can make it in a variety of colors. I'm usually going to have the bottom one of two colors. It's either going to be lime green to look like a tree cricket, a bush katydid, did, some kind of grasshopper. The second color is just going to be black because whatever a fish looks up at in a bright backlit sky, it's probably just going to have a dark belly because you're seeing a silhouette. Go back to the podcast on giving fish too much credit. And I've caught plenty of fish on these flies and you're going to learn these are pretty Basic flies. I am not the technical guy. Like you look at AK Best and how he was fishing the uh, Henry's Fork once and they was on these rusty spinners and they were exactly 7.5 millimeters long with exactly like nine ribs to their abdomen. And he went back to the truck and tied it up and he had this special like Hungarian partridge with these rusty brown and he tied up the fly and he, he he caught fish i'm just not you know i'll go out there and whip something up but it's not quill bodies i'm not perfectly matching the hatch i don't give the fish that much credit and i do okay i catch fish and i kind of stick with what i go with that's why these are not like technical these are mostly just attractors that represent a plethora of items that could be in the water or fall into the water that a fish would eat so the large hopper, size four hook, and I'll since I don't want to use up all of my green, I'll have usually pink and yellow in there. And it's, I just call it the watermelon hopper, or pink, white, and green. Just round rubber legs coming out, and you wrap it enough times, it's going to stay on the hook. And a lot of these you're going to find out are based on Bill Skilton's patterns. Watching Bill tie, looking at his patterns, dissecting them, Gave me an idea on how to make a lot of these flies. So that is going to be, you know, we use that fly for largemouth. We use it for smallmouth. We use it for trout. Just an all-around great, easy fly to tie. You could tie them in mass productions. Great, great streamer. Um, not streamer. What am I talking about? I've been, I, I've been outside all day and I'm a little sun and windburn. And I just knocked over my trash can. It's a great fly for streams that go through pastures, just meandering. Think of Mossy Creek, Virginia, the Latorte, or um, the Dream Stream in Colorado. 
just just where there's a lot of big like papillionid wasps and other bugs that just get blown in it represents a lot of different bugs and you can throw it on any rod now we go down to the middle one and that's uh what size hook would that be maybe an eight and these are usually going to be two levels of foam because i'm really not going to be throwing something heavy behind it this is going to be the main fly and that's going to be for plunge pools and small mountain streams you remember the podcast where i caught the bull trout in idaho where I'm, it's this mountain stream that tumbles down and there's just long plunge pools with these long glides after them before the next drop off it's a great fly for those cutthroat and brook trout in small streams where they just don't see a lot of food it's a great fly and a four weight. You can delicately present it. It splats. It's got a silhouette. And it looks like a beetle. It looks like a carpenter ant. It could be a bumblebee. It could be a big leaf hopper. It could be a wasp. It could be a termite. It covers a lot of things. It's a generic looking fly that catches fish. And again, these are usually black on the bottom. And then I have my... Uh, shiny foam on top just makes it easier to see. I don't really use like a, a big poof of yarn on them. That just kind of slows them down in the air. There are no eyes on these. There have no antenna. Most of the grasshoppers are longhorn grasshoppers. Uh, and they like the Katie Dids that fall in. And I'm just not going to tie grasshoppers on. I have some old Dave's hoppers. And they've got these like two long fibers coming out. And they just get fouled on the leader. So I 86 those. And next we're going to go down. This is just like um, Goldilocks and the Three Bears. Like this porridge is too hot. This one's too cold. This one's too runny. I have three sizes for different types of trout. The next one's going to be on like a size 14 hook. It's going to be probably one to two layers of foam. And it's just a miniature version. It looks like little ants, little carpenter ants. It could be a little caddis, a little stonefly. It's just super easy to tie. It's super easy to cast, and it fools the fish. Great brook trout fly. People come in trying to match the hatch for brook trout. I'm like, that's fun and all. If you want to, you know, I mean, a size 16 quill gordon for an overcast day in the park, or an um, all these little Adirondack flies. And I'm like, you know what? I've got my three tenants to brook trout. I think we've already gone over this. You have to be able to see the fly. It has to stay buoyant. And it has to have an exposed hook. For the brook trout that shoot up in one go and try and pull it down. So these flies, they're pretty good for brook trout. They're foam. They bounce off rocks and land in the water upright. Very easy to tie. So that's my small, medium, and large version of the Chernobyl ant. And when I first started working at Orvis in 99, we had these fat, chubby Chernobyls. Never seen the foam that they're made of since. And it just had this most perfect splat. We used to use it up on Spruce Creek and and uh, Little Juniata at dusk. Just like some big cicada that fell out of a tree. And fish would move like 10 feet to go eat these. It was awesome. All right, so next up we have beetles. One of the greatest terrestrials all all around, and we got to thank the forefathers of dry fly fishing in Pennsylvania. Those streams I mentioned, Charlie Fox, Vince Marinero, um, Ed Shank. These guys modernized terrestrials as we know it. The coffee bean fly, the Jason. 
And these are, again, based on the Bill Skilton fly. When I first started working at Orvis, we had these little brown foam beetles. They looked like an engorged tick. And you'd splat that thing down in, in a trout stream and in the summer, and you'd catch tons of fish on them. The 1911 is one of the most iconic firearms in history. Designed by John Browning, the 1911 was the standard-issue sidearm of the U.S. military from 1911 to 1985. While Colt produced the original, almost every major firearm company has produced its own version. It's wildly revered for its reliability, crisp trigger, and is still a favorite for all types of shooters. Whether you're looking to buy or build a 1911 and just about everything for guns, log on to MidwayUSA.com. Yeah, the quick sight beetle, and I can open up my drawers and pull out, not my like pant drawers, like the drawers in my bins, my fly tying room. And I have a bunch of his old foam, and I don't really use it anymore. It's just nostalgic to look back. So I have um, they're maybe a quarter inch wide, and I have them in just straight up black. And, and Bill's foam was extremely light, and no one can figure out exactly what he did to make it. But I have my own Mylar versions, and for legs, I originally used Saltwater Crystal Flash, super hard to find. And I color black with a Sharpie. That was great. And now I use more of black super hair. Stuff I make super clousers out of. I use it for tails on mayflies and other bugs. Super easy. And they should just be like a little little coffee bean size. Beetles come in all sizes. But I go for the Japanese beetle size. That's what I'm looking for. And there's no shame in getting a handful of Japanese beetles off a tree shaking them up to disorient them and throw them in and look for brown trout and then throw your beetle in. You know, if you want to catch a fish, go for it. You know, I got nothing against it. So the beetles, those three size ants and major cricket are my foam terrestrials. They will cover pretty much any insect falling in the water. That's a land-based bug. And if you don't believe me that there's, more than like four types of bugs out there. Get a brush net and drag it through the brush along a trout stream. And that thing will have a hundred different species of every color and size insects. I limit myself to just two colors because it's easy, it's cheap, and it gets the job done. Next up, we have my splat rat. So the idea for this came from fishing the whip mouses, the deer hair ones up in, on uh, Little Juniata at dusk. Tom and I were out there. This was July of 2000. And a thunderstorm had come through in the afternoon. So we went back and smoked some cigars on the rocking chair porch of Donnie Beaver's Paradise Lodge. We went back out and you know the steam was coming off the water and it was foggy and temperature dropped 20 degrees. And I was like, Tom, we're next to a cornfield. I guarantee there's like field mice in there. And somehow they probably fall in the water. Tom's like, yeah, I bet you're right. I said, you got a mouse? He's like, I have one of those you know, hair mouse from the shop. It's like, put that on. He ties it on 3X. First cast, straight across. And he starts skating it downstream. And there was this wake as if a bonefish was coming up behind it. And there's this huge splash. And his arms going everywhere. And pop, the leader breaks maybe two feet below where it was tied on to the fly line. It was a big brown. There's browns in there like 30 inches long. And Tom was just shaking. His hands were, you know, like you can't see. But he, he was shaking. He His adrenaline was pumping through. 
We couldn't get a repeat of that. We had a couple more flies. And I'm not a deer hair guy. I already told you that. I don't spin it. I don't tie it. I don't know why. I just never got into it. Just like, um, you know, there's some things I don't cook. Just, I just never got into them. I don't make creme brulee. I don't make souffles. I'm not a baker. I make baguettes now, but I'm not a baker. We're, we're, my wife says we like to uh, braise things in our house. We're roasters. So I decided I was going to make a mouse out of foam. And I experimented for a while. And I finally came up, came up with a splat rat. It's the pipe insulation from Home Depot. It's got a black chenille body and then a black ultra chenille San Juan worm tail. It's on a bass hook. And the first time I really fished, it was on the Dreamstream in 2009. There's a goofy picture at Orvis Clarendon because I had just started cutting my own hair the day before we went there. So it's a pretty bad haircut with a sun visor. I used to wear sun visors before I got really conscious about the sun. We're not in the dream stream. We are, I don't know, maybe 30 yards upstream from the main parking lot, which is now, um, I'm sorry, I forgot his name. He was the reporter for the Denver Post. I want to say Ed Engel, but that's not right, is it? I feel bad if I name somebody and, and they're not dead. But anyways, it's the main parking gate lot where the cows hang out, the big bridge that everyone hangs out by. And I throw it across and I skate it downstream. And sure enough, these fish start coming up and they're bouncing it with their nose first. Oh, backtrack 2005, under that bridge, I caught a fish on a, a drowned mouse, right? Used a big split shot and bounced it along the bottom and I caught a fish. And then I, you know, 2009, I'm like, I, I still don't want to tie up deer hair. So we're skating across, and these browns and rainbows, you know, like uh, dolphins in captivity will bounce like a basketball around. They're playing with their food, and then finally one just decides to inhale it. And I lost three before I landed one. Nothing huge, but it's that satisfaction and accomplishment that not only did I catch a fish on a mouse, I caught a trout on a mouse, caught a trout on a mouse in Colorado. And I got about two or three more that night, and I don't think I got any more on that trip. But I've used them since then. Heck, maybe I'll take one up and skate it across for Steelhead next week. A couple years ago, I saw a chipmunk fall in the river, so who knows? It also works for bass. And that's the splat rat. So that ends my favorite foam terrestrial-esque dry flies. Now we're going to get into some of the geeky trout dries. First up, I have a size 12 yellow stimulator. Fantastic fly. It looks like a caddis. It looks like a stonefly. Could be a grasshopper. I'm assuming when they see the elk sticking out of the top, they think it's fluttering wings. I don't know. But when there's a caddis hatch going on, like the one in 2003, is it 2003? You're going to have to look up, when did Kobe Bryant get busted for his illegal shenanigans in Colorado? It was the same weekend. Major traffic on I-70 going out to Aspen. And we got to like put the wiper blades on. There's caddis everywhere. And we get to Aspen, and we're driving through town, and there are caddis everywhere. And we go camp, and, and the next morning we get up, and we're fishing below town on the Roaring Fork. Well, it's, I'm fishing. My wife's hanging out. And there's, there's caddis in my nose and my ears. And I put one of these on. And I can't tell the difference between my stimulator 
and the caddis on the water. And I didn't even know when I, you know, when my rod jerked, that's when I set the hook. I never saw the fish eat. I probably got seven or eight really nice browns and rainbows out of that stretch on stimulators and definitely carry some desiccant with you or some line grease so you can keep them afloat. Because once a fish takes it down, it gets fish slime on it. It's not going to float the same. And these come in different colors. They come in orange. They come in uh, like royal wolf colors. They come in, I don't know. But I usually just go with the yellow one. It, it matches a lot of different flies. And I don't really go too big. If I'm going to throw you know, a, a size 10, I might as well just throw foam. This is for when I'm trying to match a hatch more or less out west. I don't really fish these out east. And you just look at it. I think Randall Kaufman came up with it. It's just a brilliant, brilliant fly. So carry some of those different colors. They're not too terribly difficult to tie. I got mine, I don't know where, uh, probably that Orvis clearance sale. So if you haven't heard this story, when you go to an Orvis, you get those plastic fly boxes. You put your clousers in them. So the first Orvis clearance sale I worked, the deal was I was allowed to buy as many flies as I could put in there. It was $3. So I just have a pile of stimulators in every color, shape, size you can imagine from that day. So I still have a surplus from 99, October of 99. I'm still using. Next up, we have the elk hair caddis. I mean, come on. Who doesn't have an elk hair caddis in their fly box when they're fishing? Um, it was invented. I forget the guy's name. He passed away two years ago. Just one of the great all-time flies. It will catch trout wherever you go. Northern hemisphere, southern hemisphere, east, west. Trout are eating caddis, which is a predominant bug throughout the world. Colder, cleaner waters. You can catch them on an elk hair caddis. Bluegills eat them. Bass eat them. Trout relish them. It's a big bushy fly. If you're tying them, just remember the proportions. If you equally proportion that the elk hair doesn't stick past the bend of the hook, they will look nice. They'll be bushy. Make them in different colors. I was in a caddis hatch below Stagecoach Reservoir in Colorado. I didn't get anything on caddis. They were everywhere. I remember getting almost scared poopless in my waders by a beaver that came up next to me and splashed. But just, you know, 10 feet off the water, it was just clouds of caddis everywhere. If you want to match the hatch, elk hair caddis will do the trick. Again, keep desiccant with you. They'll sink. Next up, we have just a generic blooming olive in uh, 14, 16, 18, 20. Got to have those in every trout box. It looks like the betas, the blooming olive mayfly. Looks like a lot of others, but definitely when they're feeding on, on this specific insect, you can absolutely match the hatch with them. One of my funniest memories on a blooming olive I was with my dad in Colorado in uh, fall of 99. And I was fishing below, um, what's the reservoir by Tom's house? Southwest Denver. Chatfield Reservoir? Does that sound right? And there's signs for rattlesnakes everywhere. I took a bus from downtown Denver from the hotel out there. No one looked at me. Nobody even batted an eye that I was wearing waders on a bus downtown. And there wasn't much coming off. 
I think I caught most of my fish on the streamers that we'll get to later. And I really haven't started my trout fishing then. I had just finished up a float on the Roaring Fork and I smoked them on on streamers. And then outside of Frisco, I smoked them on three flies down the line that I'll talk about soon. So I was pretty confident in my trout fishing. I really wasn't a trout fisherman then. I was mostly just a warm water bass guy. So I put on this blooming olive and I cast and it gets hung up on a tree six inches above the water. And it's just dangling there. And a fingerling still with par marks on it, rainbow, jumps out of the water to eat it, gets hooked, and is just dangling there. And I can do the impersonation of what it looks like. It kind of looks like when Homer Simpson was telling Bart where he came from and he did the sperm dance. So this little trout was just sitting there wobbling, hanging from the tree. And I just went over and undid the the leader and tip it and dropped it in and swam off. It's one of those flies you just got to have with you. Next up is the parachute pheasant tail. I know people love the Adams parachute, but the pheasant tail for me... It has these reflective qualities that just make it look buggy. It's the browns and coppers in there, and I absolutely love it. It's not a fly I fish too often, but in the right times when they're feeding and you've got a fish that has a certain rise form where it comes up and eats and then disappears, then comes up and eats and disappears, and you count it, and you count it, and you can sort of picture when it's coming up next and you time it and you cast in front of the fish and it rises and you see a dimple and you set the hook that fly might just be the one that it's eating more often than not again 20s 18s 16s 14s 12s you want to carry in a bunch of sizes i haven't tied parachute flies since high school so the ones i'm fishing are probably just leftovers again from that big sale It's a buggy-looking fly. It's got the white poof on top. You can see it from far away. Parachute pheasant tail. It's just a pheasant tail nymph that floats. It's all it really is, honestly. We're going to go through the wolf series now. So Lee Wolf just made these flies beefier and bushier. Easy to see. Stay up longer. And we're going to go with White Wolf, Royal Wolf, Lime Wolf, Adam's Wolf, and there's another one that I don't have on display. So I like these flies. One, because they're bushy and they float. So I can have a second fly behind them. If I'm throwing a White Wolf, which is one of my go-tos at dusk, because I can see it from a distance. Mossy Creek at dusk. Yellow Breaches at dusk. Uh, Middle Fork of the South Platte outside of um, Hartzell. You can always see this fly in low light. And then use it as an indicator. Fly we're coming up too soon will be the fly that I drop behind it. You can pre-treat these with floatant. And you want to have them in different colors to match different bugs. But the White Wolf kind of looks like everything. I've colored them yellow before for Yellow Sally's. Did fine. The Lime Wolf... It's a royal wolf. It just has a green instead of red. So I was telling you about that day in Colorado above Frisco. It was snowing in January. And my dad's business partner, boss, she's like, I've seen people fishing 
in this parking spot in Frisco. It's like, all right, I'll take your word for it. We'll drop you off. We'll come back in an hour and a half. Like, fantastic. It's 18 degrees. It's dumping. And I'm layered up so well that I have to put snow on my head to cool down. And I catch my favorite brown trout of all time. I'm not going to tell you what I called it on yet because we're not there yet in the podcast. you got to have patience. All right, I'm moving upstream. And I catch a couple more on the fly that I'll name soon. And then I get to this bush with a big hole in front of it. I pull two trout out of there on, on a fly. I kind of go through the bush, and there's this long wall. This is the Blue River above Swan Mountain. I'm not hot spotting. It's a spot. And I found a Leatherman there once. If you know where and what Leatherman it was, I may be inclined to send it to you. And I'm freezing. My net is uh, frozen, so like the, the mesh is sticking out. Beautiful net, really fine mesh. Got it at that catalog clearance sale from Orvis. The benefit of unpacking the material for the sale is you got first dibs. Everyone had a giant cardboard box, and you'd put stuff in there as you were unpacking. So like Wheatley boxes, nets, stripping baskets, Gore-Tex line pants, so much great stuff. I'm still using the boot foot waders from that in October 99 with my clients today. Got a patch of pin spot hole, but I'm still using it. So these fish, out of nowhere, it was like a blooming olive hatch. It's overcast. It's snowing. It's like 15 degrees now. And all of a sudden, it just looks like a regatta. These little fish are coming down through a riffle and going right along this wall. And you start hearing, I mean, it was dead silent except for the water. You hear, and these fish are starting to feed on these little sailboats. I look in my Wheatley and I pick out pretty bushy, like size 10 Royal Lime Wolf. Tie it on, I drift it. And it's like just third drift maybe, boom. Catch a fish, big brown. Let it go. Two more casts, boom. And I had never really fished a hatch before and I'm starting to pick these fish off like left and right all said and done got like six or seven trout and before that I'd only called like brookies in the mountains and now I'm catching like these fat beefy Colorado trout and they probably swam up from the lake up there and I think you're not even I mean it might actually be trespassing up there there was a very ambiguous sign when I went back there in 20 2005 but back in 99, no sign. And, you know, after 10 minutes, it just shut off. And I hooked a bird. And then I decided it was time to head back. And I get back to the parking lot. And they're waiting for me. And there's a guy who's getting ready to go down there. And I give him the fly that's coming up at the end. And, a, like, a handful of lime wolves. I said, dude, dude go try these, man. I just I just did really well. He was very appreciative. And I get, get in the car. We drive to Denver. And um, it's like... 88 degrees and sunny and I'm wearing like three layers of fleece on the top and bottom and I'm dying to get up to the room and change. And then the next day is when I caught that, uh, that rainbow on the blooming olive. There's the next wolf. It's Adams. It's gray, black tail, kind of brown and white hackle. And it looks like most just dark mayflies. And I've, Got a ton of fish on it. That's why it's in this list because it's bushy, it floats, it's buggy, and you can put a dropper behind it. 
Next up is going to be like a parachute, light Cahill, size, I don't know, 14. Never really fished these flies before. Then I'm out in Colorado, and in um, May and June, you have the Pale Morning Dun hatch. It's a light color mayfly. And they're all over the Colorado River. Couldn't get anything to take one up there. When I go to uh, 69 Ranch and Night Immler, which eventually flow into the Dream Stream, they feel spinny, do the Dream, then 11 a mile, then out. And they're fish rising. It's um, It looks just like Mossy Creek to me. It's a meandering stream. And I'm wearing wellies because I don't need waders. I'm not jumping in. There's a lot of like cacti and very scratchy plants. So I've got the wellies on. And like six inches off the cut bank, there is a trout rising. Nose comes up, goes down. And you watch that rise form again. Nose comes up, eats something, goes back down. And it's kind of doing this oval shape in the water where it comes up, eats, drops down, goes backwards. And I've got the five weight on. My five weight Henry's fork. It's just beautiful. Nothing fancy about the rod. It's unsanded blank. It's got chunks missing from the cork. And just got bat and kill large arbor and some beat up old fly line. Nice new long leader. Put on a light Cahill. Grease it up a bit. Couple casts later, I hooked that trout. It's pretty big. It's a light tippet. Maybe 5X, 6. I don't think I've ever done 7X, so maybe 6. You're pushing it if you get me to fish 6X. At that point, I'm just going to just sit and watch other people. So I've got this fish on, and it's uh, it's a meandering stream. Remember from five years ago that a stream wants to be at equilibrium. It wants to have a certain pace to its water. And what it's going to do, it's going to start meandering through these valleys. And it's going to go left and right, left and right, and make switchbacks. Eventually oxbows as it tries to slow down and reach that equilibrium. And this fish took me through like two or three bends. It's peeling line off. And I'm you know, four or five feet above the water, and I finally get down to a you know low bank and scoop it up, and just absolutely stunning cut bow. More, I'd say seventy five percent rainbow, twenty five percent cutthroat. And I'll put the pictures up too, and you'll be like, yeah, that's, I don't know what that thing is, but beautiful fish. Definitely had the slashes, it's lower gills, and I can look back and close my eyes ten years later, and think of that fly and that fish, and at our old house. I used to keep one of these flies on like the medicine cabinet on top um, where I brushed. And I could look at it every day and just think of that summer I spent in Colorado fishing dry flies, little white ones. And I believe the original recipe called for the um, fuzz from a ram's balls to tie this fly. Granted, I was buying these flies, not tying them. I got them for the clearance sale. And I will always carry a pile of these flies in... 14, 16, 18s now, if I'm trout fishing. And it was an amazing afternoon. And then I took my in-laws back there and uh, caught another two or three on dries. And they were there to take a picture of me. So I've got this great picture of me with a ear-to-ear grin, Breckenridge Outfitters hat on, and this nice rainbow. Next up, it's a very similar fly to all these. It's got moose hair for the tail. I don't know what the body's made of. It's got hackle, but two 
banana yellow posts. It's the Mr. Rapidam. Harry Murray's fly invented for fly fishing the mountain streams of Virginia for brook trout. It's got two qualities that make you need to fish this and have it in your fly box. One, it's buggy. It's blacks, browns, and grays. Looks like everything out there they're eating. Two, it's got these banana yellow posts. It looks like a peace sign of banana sticking out. You can see it from far away. And you take it out west, it's not a western fly. People out here fish it all the time. You take it out there, those fish haven't seen it. It's carried by Umpqua, so if your shop sells Umpqua flies, they can get them for you. Absolutely lethal fly. Next up would be, it's like a small white coffin fly. It's basically a white mayfly, and it has like a poly yarn sticking out either side to make it look like a spent mayfly. So only one place I'll really fish these, and that's the yellow breeches in August during the white fly hatch. At dusk, at the end of summer, you'll just be standing there with 50 other dudes on the shore, smoking pipes, eating Lance peanut butter cheese crackers out of their pockets, putzing around, waiting for that magical moment where it's as if Mother Nature flipped a light switch and there's an emergence of white mayflies, and they're all different sizes. And this one just floats well. It sits right in that surface film. And it's going to get you trout at dusk. You won't be able to see it once the sun sets. But you know it's there. Definitely be wearing clear glasses fishing the white fly hatch. Slowly over a riffle. These flies are going to merge in the riffles. That's where if you want to use an emerger as a dropper, you're going to get them. But it's those quiet, soft waters behind or downstream from the riffles. You're going to find the fish eating these. All right. We are done with flies that sit on or above the water. No. Oh, sorry. Skipped one. It's that fly. That's my dropper fly. I'm not going to tell you what it is first. I'll tell you the story about it. Feeling nostalgic tonight. It's that trip with my dad to Colorado. And we unpack it at uh, Aspen Snowmass. And we go into town. It's September. It's before snow season starts. This was kind of the off season. And we go into a ski and fly shop. It's like, hey, I've just gotten in town. want to do some fishing. I'm going to hire a guide later in the week. But tomorrow and tonight, I just want to go out by myself. So first off, what are your local flies and where do I use them? Now you're thinking it's some gnarled old fly shop dude. Got a cup of coffee, maybe a Budweiser, a pack of dip in his lip, flannel shirt, work pants, cowboy boots, knife in the pocket, ratty old baseball hat. You couldn't be more wrong. It was a Nordic ski bunny. She was like six foot one, blonde hair, blue eyes. She takes me over to the fly bin and I'm just like, like this is not what I was expecting for a fly shop. Not only did she point to a map for a park where to go fish. And I know I'm being kind of sexist, but honestly, like you don't expect a six foot blonde with a Norwegian accent to be giving you fly fishing advice. It's just, it was just different. And she, I'm assuming it was a ski bunny and just working there in her off season, but she probably also fished and no, I did not ask for her number, which I should have. Cause I wasn't smart back then. She goes and she pulls out a fly. She says, this is an RS2 emerger. And I buy like three of them. Itty bitty fly. It's basically a thread wrap body with microfibit tails. And a little puff of feathers coming out right behind 
the uh, hook of the the eye hook, hook of the eye. Sure enough, I go down to the park. After about 20 minutes, I catch like a seven-inch rainbow. I'm like, hot damn. I've gone completely backwards in the time frame from this trip. I went from Denver to Frisco to up to Roaring Fork, and then eventually I'll get to the drift boat trip. And this is my dropper fly. If I'm fishing 11 Mile Canyon, if I'm fishing Yellow Breaches, most of those big streams, I'm going to have a small RS2 emerger, 18 or 20s, 22s. Knives, machetes, saws, and shears, multi-tools, shovels, swords, axes, spears, hatchets, and tomahawks. If it cuts, snips, slices, or chops, Midway USA has it. Find great gift ideas in our huge selection of pocket knives and other everyday carry folding knives. Make a statement or create a family legacy with one of our top-of-the-line hunting knives. We've got a great selection of manual and electric sharpeners, too. For just about everything for the outdoors, check out MidwayUSA.com. And no one had ever heard of this fly that I talked to when I came back. It's like, I got this great fly. It's called an RS2. And I did research on it. It's the same webpage you'll find today I found back then. It stands for Rims Semblance 2. Rim Chung. Chun, I think it's his name. Colorado came up with this simple fly, and it's freaking ridiculous. It is so simple. It looks like a grilled cheese. You think, how good can melted cheese between two slices of bread be? Well, exactly. Grilled cheese is like the greatest sandwich ever. RS2. Olives and gray. It's the only color you need. Slate gray, light olive. Don't really need to grease them too much. You want them in the film, right above it. And you want to use that white wolf as your your sight fly. And when you see your white wolf twitch, you set the hook. And you probably have stuck a fish in the lower lip with an RS2 because they just subtly sucked it in. It doesn't have... You know, this major buggy-looking thing to it. It's a well-balanced, lightly-dressed fly, which more often than less is the one that works. R-S-2. Got it? Okay. Let's move on to nymphs. These are pretty basic. The first one is a tungsten head soft hackle pheasant tail. And I remember fishing the Snake River in Colorado one day. And having these rainbows bend this hook out. I went through all of them. I either lost them on fish or had the hooks just bend beyond repair. Buggy looking fly. Tungsten. Get it down deep. Pheasant tail because it's buggy colored looking. Soft hackle because it gives it the motion. It has those three qualities that make it an ideal fly. Um, 14, 16, 18, 20s. You should not leave home. Without this fly. There are days on the Blue River where I use this as a dropper behind a streamer. Oh, man. And then so that brings me to the flashback pheasant tail. One of Tom's favorite flies. And we started fishing it for steelhead and you can't go wrong. It's pheasant tail. Buggy looking. It's got copper wire ribbing. So it has kind of an abdomen look to it. Also a little bit of bling flash to it. Then you have the peacock. And Tom and I would sit over glasses of of adult beverages and discuss the merits of flashback pheasant tails for hours. Is it the flash that's the thing that draws them in? Is it that iridescent peacock thorax on them that just makes it look buggy? Is it the little pieces of... Fibers coming out to the side that makes it look like it's swimming. 
whatever it is, you need to be throwing flashback pheasant tails. 22s, 20s, 18s, 16s, 14s. All sizes, weighted, unweighted. And then from there, we have the hare's ear. So I had size, they're like 10 and 8, flashback natural hare's ears. And the hare's ear's got a shorter tail. Pheasant tail's got a longer tail. Beadhead and tungsten. This was my number one dropper for plunge pools in Colorado. And I think because when it's longer, it looks like a little fish. So you could dead drift it through a hole. You can jig it through a hole. Or you can strip it through a hole. All are going to work. Tom loved hare's ears. That was one of his... If he couldn't catch a fish on... Something, he'd go to a hare's ear or a size 22 cream midge. And he'd pull a fish out with that midge. And I'm just like, you got to be kidding me. Hare's ear is just buggy. It's got that bristly rabbit. It's got the iridescence from the flashback. And it also has that ribbing. It has the shape of most aquatic bugs if you cut off the legs. It has a thick head and torso, thorax, and then the narrow tapered body. And I want to fish these. I don't go too small with these. And it's usually going to be a bead on them. Gold is kind of the standard du jour. Beautiful, beautiful fly. And then I have my version, but it's of of both of them combined. The flashback soft hackle pheasant tail. And I don't know why it's in here, but it's just, it's my steelhead fly. You fish in steelhead in five days. I'm not much of a midge fisherman. There are two types of midges I'm going to fish. And you see that all the, you know, princes out there and rubber-legged stoneflies, just all these different trout patterns, these are the ones I use. It's either pheasant hail or a hare's ear derivative. And then my midge, call it the bridge midge because Tom and I were fishing the Colorado River near um, east of Kremlin and there's a bridge. And he was smoking them on midges. And I'm like, I don't have any midges. And I'm like, I'm not using your flies, man, because I just I just don't like using other people's flies. I'm not going to borrow your toothbrush. I'm not going to borrow one of your flies. So I go back to the condo that night, and I sit down, and it's a thread midge. It's just black thread, and it's got the these what, size 20s and 22s. It's got a little silver bead I picked up at Walmart in Frisco or Dillon. And I you know it's in Frisco. And uh, just a bit of polypro yarn coming out behind the head. So simple. So effective. We went back the next morning. We were catching fish on bridge midges all day. Well, I was. Tom was using his own crazy flies. He he never gets skunk. He's Tom. And then I adapted it differently to blue thread, red thread, chartreuse thread. And sometimes I'll use a piece of crystal flash like a zebra midge and give it a little rib. If you break apart, uh, you're driving down the road, you see someone's old appliance out that's getting ready to be junked. Go out there and cut the wire, the electric cord off, rip it open and get those thin silver and coppery wires out of them. And that's what you want to use for your ribs on these tiny flies. I'll fish these on my Tenkara rod, two at a time on 11 mile. And I find that the ones with just a little poof of that white and just enough little crystal flash, maybe it's like four strands of crystal flash instead of the poof. Those in the surface film in the winter in a tailwater are absolutely amazing. You just, you know, if you were to sand the water, you would just see all these midges. You see it at Airvie 
Winter Fly Fishing Magazine. There's going to be a story about midges below the dam. And you only have maybe 100 yards before that water starts freezing up and getting colder and everything shuts down. So the closer you are to the outtake of the tailwater, the better you're going to do on these. Love it. Absolutely love the bridge midge. And my Colorado fly box, because the nymphs are so small, it's one of those, I mean, it's as wide as my iPhone. It's pretty thin. Next up is my take on Charlie Craven's mycid shrimp. History of mycids, from how I understand, they put salmon in the reservoirs in Colorado in like the 50s and 60s. Some guy decided to introduce mycid shrimps from the feed on, except they live in different um, zones of the water at different times of the day. So where the salmon are at night, the shrimp are where the salmon are during the day. Where the salmon are during the day, the shrimp are where the salmon were at night or vice versa. Different niches of the same aquatic uh, ecosystem. But these shrimp, they get sucked out of the reservoirs and the fish closest to the reservoir get to eat them before they get eaten by other fish or just die and just get stuck to rocks and, and disappear. The fly, it is made on like a size 20 stonefly muddler hook. The eyes are made out of black rubber legs. The body is just a thin wisp of dubbed white egg yarn with a little tail of white egg yarn. And then I just put the ever so slight teeny tiniest bit of orange glow bug yarn in there just to give it the, the gut. And then maybe two strands of multicolored crystal flash in the tail. I never thought this would work. And then I'm fishing with Ed Paff Jr. If you're an OAR fan, you know you know Ed Paff Jr. Um, he used to run all the – I haven't been on the sites. OARSA.org. He's been to 1,000 shows. Not 1,000, but fewer than Mike Sarnofsky. So Ed was out skiing and hurt himself. Or he's a snowboarder or whatever. So Ed's up in Breck visiting us. And he's like, well, I can't go skiing. I'm going to go just hang out with you. So we're fishing the blue right below Dylan. And I, I lived in that kind of area for a month and a half. Every night I slept kind of in the parking lots down there. So I would fish this stretch a lot. This is winter time, And I'm like, Ed, I want to try mice and shrimp. He's like, mice and who's it? And I'm like, just, just watch. And sure enough, after like 20 minutes, I got a small trout on a mice and shrimp. And I'm sure I've caught more since then, but if you're going to fish a mice and shrimp, and there's a lot of them out there, Charlie Cravens is the best. And there's a tutorial on his website from Charlie's Flybox. And if you're not using Charlie's Flybox tutorials to tie some of your flies, you're mental. They are some of the best you will ever see. The last but not least of the wet flies is the Snow White Damsel. Great on Tenkara, great as indicator fly, great stripped. It's mostly rainbows I catch off of it. You heard Chris's take earlier. Dr. Carl Smoka got a steelhead on one last year. It's an effective, very effective fly. It's chartreuse. It's small. It looks like a bait fish maybe. It looks like a damsel nymph maybe. Either way, it works. Now, I've got damsels in my tank. And, of course, the tank is turned off right now so you don't hear it trickling. And my fish are kind of swimming around in circles like, hey, man, what's going on? But if you were to watch a damsel nymph in the tank, it's about as boring as watching paint dry. They move so slow, they don't look like anything in there. They just look – they're moving like a blue heron moves 
in the shallows or a chameleon or a sloth. They're, they're, you know, it's one leg, stop. Another leg, stop. And they have to do that six times to move forward because they got six legs on them. I don't know what they look like when they swim through the water. I guess I could probably just drop one in the tank and see it. But that's what I strive for the, my Snow White Damsel to look like. Awesome. All right, let's talk junk flies. Spaghettis and meatballs. Egg flies. You can't go wrong. People heard the fish in an egg fly. It's sacrilegious. Well, you know what? Fish reproduce. They reproduce with eggs. And eggs are protein. So fish eat eggs. They eat eggs of all different species of fish, all different sizes, all colors. So you should have creams, reds, oranges, and pinks in a variety of sizes. Glowbug yarn and McFly foam are the two I go with. We used to fish the Little Juniata River. And I just did my Throwback Thursday picture of me with this disgustingly fat rainbow. And it's funny to look at these pictures because I'm like 60 pounds lighter. I got one chin. I got this angular chin. Some dimples. It's pretty, pretty silly how different I look now. I think it's silly. So it's Christmas Eve 2000. Tom and I are going to camp up there. We got permission from the shop. And I'm 30 feet from the stream. And I'm just false casting and just... I was walking to just throw a worm in there with an egg dropper. Boom. I catch 16 inch rainbow all afternoon. We, we, you know, we were breaking them off. The fish up there were, were big. They're probably bigger now. Egg flies. Now, some say they look like pellets. I don't know for, you know, fish that were raised in a hatchery, but fish are going to eat eggs and they're getting a lot of them and they're going to get fat off of them. So when they see them, they're going to go after them. Don't be ashamed to fish eggs, glow balls, glow bugs, whatever. Definitely have them in your box. And the last of the junk flies are San Juan worms. And people are not eating. I'm not throwing earthworms. Well, these are not earthworms. These are annelids. They're roundworms that live in the stream banks, in the bottom of the water. If you went insane to a river, you're going to get all sorts of worms of every color and size. Long ones, skinny ones, fat ones. They're mostly uh, root beer, reddish brown. But we'll throw them in purple, chartreuse. And one of Tom's all-time great flies is like a two-inch long chartreuse San Juan stripped. We were getting skunked in 2005 below the Taylor Reservoir outside Crested Butte. And Tom's sitting there stripping these things in and catching fish left and right. Unbelievable. So you don't be afraid to throw worms. You can tie them standard straight. You can tie them with a little loop in them. You can put a flash on them. You can put a bead on them. You can fish them in rubber. You can fish them in pearl braid. You can fish them in traditional San Juan material. You can use rubber bands. But a worm is part of an aquatic organism's diet, and you're fishing for aquatic organism, the trout. So thus, it makes my list of my top trout flies. Last but not least, because we're getting to the hour mark and, and donger need food. Like I said, I was out at the butt crack this morning. It was 32 degrees in the tidal basin. It was a donated trip, and they were catching striped bass, river herring, yellow perch, maybe largemouth bass, stripers, channel cats too. It's a great day. And then we were out on the river another trip and uh, it was so windy today there wasn't really much of an outgoing tide and waters didn't come up so uh, we were fishing in like ankle deep water that should have been waist deep so all we got were basically a bunch of yellow perch and small largemouth but nonetheless we caught fish 
So I am hungry. So this fly, it's the second greatest trout streamer ever invented. It's the Travis Bead a Bugger. I'm going to send Tom Rosenbauer an email. To, maybe he could do a podcast on who Travis is, who Schultzy is, these people that the flies are named after. So the Travis Bead a Bugger was a fly that we sold at Orvis, like 99 to 03. And I sent Sean Brillen an email last year with a picture because I've got four left. And I've tried tying them, and I just they just don't come out the same. I said, Sean, you guys have got to come back with this fly in black and olive. Absolute killer. It looks like a crayfish. It looks like a stone fly. It looks like a bug. It looks like a fish. I don't know. But stripped, dead drifted along the bottom section of the yellow breeches used to produce some major fish. Along cut banks on streams. Behind rocks and riffles. This was the go-to fly for me. It is olive, marabou tail, very thin olive chenille with a very light olive hackle. Very sparsely tied. And then it has flexi-floss legs. Four per side and a gold bead. And it's as wide as it is long. So you guess it's a square space it occupies in the water. Super buggy, but it just wasn't big enough. Wasn't big enough for me. Didn't have enough movement. Wasn't beefy enough. And that's where I started getting into the bacon fly. I started fishing my version of the Travis Beta Bugger up on Spruce and Little J. Started making it bigger. Started adding more things to it. And then version 2.0 went to the Roaring Fork. And I'm catching a lot of big browns and rainbows. There's these boulders that stick out every couple miles or so like five to ten feet and then you've got the slack water behind it where the fish are just waiting drift boat goes over the riffle you're downstream from the hole you throw it in strip twice you see a white mouth you set the hook you're on and i'm like i might be onto something with this fly and then a couple years later it progresses to being black cocktail instead of regular hackle it's a zonker strip. It was originally a magnum zonker, and then I just went to regular zonker. It's black peacock chenille, estaz, I should say. No, the black peacock estaz. It has black speckled silly legs, a tungsten cone. It's on a size 4, 4X long streamer hook, and the body is wrapped forward and backwards with non-toxic wire. It's big, it's heavy, it's made to be fished with a non-slip mono loop or a triple surgeon's loop with three BB split shot in front of it. So I really started fishing this fly a lot in Pennsylvania, catching like 20-inch Palomino trout, and big brown trout. I stopped carrying the Travis Beta Bugger. I've got um, Matukas, stopped fishing those. I've got Woolhead Sculpin, stopped fishing those. And I start only fishing the bacon fly. And I'll fish it on falling springs in 10 inches of water. And you just see fish coming out left and right to hit on it. Coming out of the weeds, the water crest to eat it, go back in. So I start saying, I'm just going to fish this. This is my only streamer. Go out to Colorado, fishing plunge pools. Do fantastic. Get some huge trout. Now I'm only carrying boxes of just this fly. East Coast, I'll carry 32 of them in a box. 
Colorado, I'll carry 32 of in a box. We do great with it on the Rose River during the Healing Waters trip. I was tying in size four regular hooks for that. It's a weighted fly. I mean, I've had to have one taken out of my arm. You can go to YouTube and see a 4X long hook being taken out of my forearm. It has what Vince Marinero referred to as good body. The way it undulates in the water when you strip it. It moves along left and right on that loop knot. It moves up and down with the loop knot. And this fly is not made to be fished gingerly. You're supposed to strip it and pop that rod tip. Imagine you've got a sparrow on your rod tip. You're trying to shake it off. That's what you should be doing with this fly. It should be extremely erratic. And two years ago, I made a final adjustment to it to where it is now, where I put pearl flash and boot under the zonker so you can see it better in the water. And it is, it's my magic. Next to my damsel nymph, this fly for me has outproduced just about everything else. Um, I have caught my bull trout in Idaho, like 34 inches on this fly. Some of my biggest fish on Mossy Creek. I'll go to Mossy Creek with just this one box of these. If I'm going to go trout fishing, I'm usually just going to fish this fly, which is why they're so many basic few patterns here because I know what works for me. And sometimes I'm more into just catching a big fish and lots of fish than what I caught it on that I, you know, outsmarted the fish with matching the hatch. It looks like a sculpin in the water. It darts around. And then I'll tie on a tungsten hair's ear nymph and I'll strip these through the blue river and then I'll pause and I'll, I'll dead drift them. And then I'll kind of pop the rod tip and bounce them and nymph them. And you use the big black bacon streamer as an indicator. You see it move down into the side. You set the hook. It was like an 18-inch rainbow on the hair's ear. I'm going to get pictures of these up online. I hope you enjoyed this podcast. It was a pretty basic one. Just wanted to tell you what, you know, I already did my bass flies. I'll probably do steelhead flies. I just did a blog on steelhead flies. Steelhead's been on the brain for the last seven or eight weeks. I'll take pictures of these, get them up on the blog. The next podcast is going to be Tidal Potomac Fly Rodders plus Yoshi-san up in New York. So hopefully nothing bad happens up there and don't repeat the trip from last year. So thank you for downloading episode 75. Please share this podcast with as many people as you can. It's not easy to for Jason and I to do all the work. It is all for free for everybody. So buy some flies off of us. Hire Jason for some audio or photography or video work. Make our wives happy that we are not just uh, doing this for fun. Because I'm not helping with my daughter right now. I'm down here after I've been guiding all day. So that's it. Have a a great Halloween. I will check back with y'all in two weeks. Jason, do your thing. Thank you for joining us for the Fly Fishing Consultant Podcast. For more information or to contact Rob, please go to www.robsnowwhite.com.
I'm Will Cooper, and you're listening to HuntStand's Make Your Mark podcast on the Waypoint Podcast Network. Stick around as I bring you more stories and interviews from veteran hunters and industry professionals who inspire us all to be better equipped in the woods and in life. Don't miss Mondays with Into the Blue, brought to you by Academy Sports and Outdoors, every Monday night from 7 to 10 p.m. Eastern on Waypoint TV, the destination for outdoor entertainment. I'm Will Cooper, host of HuntStand's Make Your Mark podcast. If you haven't already, download the free Waypoint TV app to listen to our podcast and watch the original films from HuntStand Presents anywhere, anytime, and on any device.